Well, good morning. I'm Nate. I'm one of the pastors here at Harvest, and uh, it's always a privilege uh, to open up the Word of God with you guys on Sunday mornings. Um, Like Pastor Cody mentioned, we've been in the series Ready Together Go, and talking about how we are called to relationship. And today we're going to be in, actually, 1 Corinthians chapters 8 through 10. Chapters 8 through 10 deal with uh, divisions and disagreements over our rights and freedoms and food sacrificed to idols. (laughs) In our context here in the west side of Indianapolis, we don't deal with a whole lot of food sacrificed to idols. Um, Other places around the world, possibly, not so much here. Uh, But uh, the principles, the truths taught here in these passages... Um, are immensely practical in our context. And so a little background here as we start. Um, It was common in Corinth to grow up worshiping false gods and false idols. Uh, Before they were in Christ, uh, some of the believers in Corinth would have worshiped in the uh, pagan temples. And food was a big part of these worship ceremonies. Uh, Food would be offered to the idols in worship in order to both appease them and please them. And food was consumed as a means of worship, as a means of fellowship with the idol, and even as a means of ingesting the spirit of those gods, so to speak. And what was left over from these sacrifices to the idols was then sold in the markets um, outside of the temples. And this was the good stuff, too, the good steaks. Uh, In chapter 10, Paul prohibits participating in pagan worship ceremonies. He says it's not okay. But the question remained, is it okay as a follower of Jesus to still eat this meat? Is it okay to to buy it and to eat it or to eat it when invited to be part of a feast or a meal that included meat that had been offered to idols? Good question. Our daily lives are full of these type of choices where where scripture doesn't directly instruct and we rely on the Holy Spirit to to guide us to make wise choices through our consciences and and the word of God as we mature in relationship with him. And uh, and if we're really to be a ready, together, and going people, I think it's good for us to consider the truths of these chapters and apply them to ourselves here in our context as a church family. So let's jump in. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Now, concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. Uh, This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he's known by God. Uh, Notice first, notice the quotes there in in verse one. It says, all of us possess knowledge there in quotes. That's something they're saying, a Corinthian slogan. And and Paul is is affirming it in some respects, and yet he corrects their use of it here a little and then builds on it. Um, This is gonna occur several times throughout this passage as we go. So look for those quotes. Uh, He says, quote, all of us possess knowledge. That's something we're saying. All of us possesses knowledge. What knowledge? Knowledge about this issue. Knowledge about God. Knowledge about freedom and food sacrificed to idols. Knowledge, knowledge that you'll see throughout this passage as we go through it. 
So he says, all of us, we know, possess knowledge. But, but this knowledge puffs up. But love builds up. Wait a second, knowledge puffs up? Uh, knowledge is good, right? Yes. <laughs> Knowing stuff is good. Uh, later in Corinthians, Paul says that knowing knowledge is a gift from God, but knowledge alone, uh, this knowledge, knowledge divorced from, knowledge devoid of love, that knowledge, that knowledge puffs up. Puffs up here is to inflate, to cause to be arrogant or proud or self-seeking. Uh, the Corinthians had struggled with pride. In chapters four and five, um, it shows that they placed too high of a priority on knowledge and not a high enough priority on love. They'd missed it. They'd missed that it's, it's not only about being right and knowing everything. Uh, it, their theology is right. We're gonna see as we go through this passage that they're right, but they're wrong. See, it's not the knowledge per se that's the problem. Uh, knowledge is good, but rather it's the heart behind in the knowledge. That's the problem. Knowledge without love puffs up and it destroys um, both yourself and others. So he said, this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Verse two, uh, if anyone imagines he knows something, uh, he does not yet know as he ought to know. I love this verse. He's like, uh, yeah, guys, uh, just, just a reminder, you don't know everything. Uh, if knowledge isn't married to love, you don't know yet as you ought to know. Uh, it's so good to stop and remind ourselves of that from time to time, isn't it? Not in like a self-deprecating way, like, ah, I don't know anything, I don't know anything, but in a humble way to say like, hold on a second, Nate, hold on. Just remember, you don't know everything. So he says, if anyone imagines he knows something he does not yet know as he ought to know, verse three, but if anyone loves God, he's known by God. Um, for the past uh, 35 years ago, um, my wife's family and I have gone to uh, Florida together. For the past 14 years, I've actually got to join them. So they went for about 35 years, and I got to join them in this last uh, 14 years on Sanibel Island in Florida. It's a hard job, <laughs> but somebody's got to do it. <laughs> this past year, we went fishing out on the ocean, and Amy's dad caught this, like, puffed-up puffer fish. Um, they fascinate me. Um, they have this defense mechanism that allows them to kind of fill their stomachs with, with water or air when they feel threatened. Um, they're not good for much. Uh, you can eat them, uh, but you have to prepare them right, otherwise you'll poison yourself because they've got like a neurotoxin in their liver, I guess. But, but they're really cool to look at, and so I set out to catch one, all puffed up. Why? Nothing better to do. Uh, and I was getting frustrated because I kept catching these other goofy-looking fish. They were like long and skinny and funky-looking, and, and I just kept catching them over and over again. And finally, I turned to Amy's dad, and I'm like, what is this fish I keep catching? He's like, that's a puffer fish. I'm like, no, it's not. He's like, yes, it is. It's just not puffed up. I'm like, make it puff up. He's like, it, <laughs> He's like, it doesn't work like that. 
They're like, why not? He's like, it just doesn't. And they're just cool. And it was interesting to me as I thought about it that, that this fish wasn't very fascinating unless it was puffed up. Uh, see, they puff up as a defense to try and convince everyone that there's something they're not. We're often like spiritual puffer fish. Fishes? Fish? Puff eye? We're, all, we're often like spiritual puffer fish. We're not very impressive, are we? Unless we get up on our soapboxes. Um, we've all got some soapboxes. We can be super passionate about our opinions and our preferences and our ideas and our knowledge, can't we? I've got it all figured out. I've got the the necessary knowledge for X, Y, and Z. You just need more knowledge. You don't know you're free in that area? I'll tell you what's right. Eat this. Drink this. Don't eat this. Don't drink this. Vote for this person, not this person. Care about this cause. No, care about that cause. Don't have social media. Have social media. Just please, no cat videos. (laughs) Only Bible verses. Worship with a guitar. Worship with a pipe organ, single, married, Democrat, Republican, Coke, Pepsi. Coke, by the way. (laughs) Pepsi would be wrong. (laughs) This right, that right, this preference, that preference, this passion, that passion. Knowledge without love breeds arrogance and it destroys others. Um, It's not about what we know as much as it's about who we know and who knows us. Look at verse three. But if anyone loves God, he's known by God. Uh, Knowing and being known by God is an amazing and humbling thing. Think about it for a second. The God of the universe knows you. That should overflow in love. If, if, if your knowing, if your knowledge isn't resulting in producing, overflowing in a greater love for God and others, you are not knowing rightly. If we focus only on knowledge, only on knowing the right answers, it will lead to pride and arrogance and it will destroy our relationships. The formula for right relationship isn't uh, knowledge. The right knowledge equals right relationship. It's, it's knowledge plus love. Knowledge in love that results in right relationship with others. 
If anyone loves God, he's known by God. Verse four, therefore, as to the eating of food sacrificed to idols, we know that. Here's something we know. Here come the quotes. We know that an idol has no real existence. It's not even real. It's a piece of wood, right? We know that an idol has no real existence. And we know that, more knowledge, here come the quotes, we know that there is no God but one. So we know there's, that idols have no real existence and we know that there's, there's only one God. Verse five, for although there may be so-called gods in heaven and on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us, this is awesome knowledge by the way, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we exist that's pretty good knowledge right all right we got it good that's our knowledge verse 7 however what what do you mean however like you just told us the right answer right however not all possess this knowledge Uh, not everyone knows this. It's not shared by all. Not everyone has this knowledge yet. Not everyone has the, the maturity to discern where there is freedom in Christ and where there isn't in this area of food sacrifice to idols. However, not all of us possess this knowledge, but some, through their former association with idols, eat food like it's really offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled. So, so there were former idol worshipers amongst them and now to eat food that had been offered in sacrifice to idols is like worshiping those idols and, and offering a sacrifice to them all over again for these people and their consciences wouldn't let them do it and, it, and they shouldn't. Verse eight, food will not commend us to God. Food will not commend us to God. We're no better off if we do not eat and we are no better off if we do. I love this equalizing statement right here in the middle of this passage. It addresses both ends of the spectrum, doesn't it? Uh, He's like, um, just a reminder, food will not commend us to God. Food will not bring you closer to, nearer to, or give you special favor with God, whether you eat it or don't eat it. I love how this speaks to both the weak and the strong. Right? He's like, he's like, to those of you that say, don't make me stumble. Like, you'll be closer to Jesus if you don't eat the meat. There are no gray areas. You'll be closer to Jesus if you have more rules. And it also speaks to the other end of the spectrum. Those, those that might say, um, eat whatever, man. It's delicious. You'll be closer to Jesus if you eat this steak. There aren't any rules about this for a reason. We're, we're free. It's equally humbling for all of us. Food won't bring you closer to Jesus. See, problems, disunity, and harm happen 
when those of us who like everything clear-cut, black and white, rules for everything, when we try to get rid of all the gray areas in life and faith, and problems and disunity and harm happens, when those of us who like gray areas try to eliminate all the black and white and live in the gray. Eat. Don't eat. He's like, food will not commend you to God. Verse nine. But take care. Be careful that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. He's like, be careful. Be careful that this freedom to partake of this does not somehow cause your weak brother to stumble into sin. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not he be encouraged? Encouraged here is the same word in the original as back up in verse one where it says love builds up, builds up. So this is builds up. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not he be built up to if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols and violate his conscience? And so by your knowledge this weak person is destroyed. The brother, the sister for whom Christ died and thus sinning, sinning, wait, it's my freedom. Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it's weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble if food makes my sister fall into sin I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble a couple thoughts from these verses first one we have freedom in Jesus Christ we are free in Jesus Christ hallelujah We're free to partake of those things that are not prohibited by the Lord, that are not sin issues. If it's not a sin, if your conscience is not violated in partaking, if you can do it in faith, eat the good meat sold in the market and enjoy it. A1 steak sauce. We are free in Christ Jesus. Second thought, our freedom is limited by love our freedom is limited by love therefore if food makes my brother stumble I'll never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble we have the freedom to limit our freedoms we're, we're free to love this passage does, does not give a blanket license to do anything just because I can. Something may be in itself permissible for a believer, but it's wise, it's loving, and it's right to avoid it for the sake of someone else. Uh, a smart guy said this. I have no idea who I tried to figure it out. It, it, not me. So it's in quotes. Edification, building up. Edification takes precedence over freedom. Edification, building someone up, takes 
precedence over freedom. Our freedoms are limited by love. Now, a couple notes. Note one. Uh, This weak brother or sister isn't someone who just sits back and criticizes your freedom. Um, This is not you limiting your freedoms because of a critical person. Oftentimes that person thinks that they're the strong one. Uh, This passage is referring to someone who could actually be harmed by your exercise of your freedom. They may need to grow in their knowledge, but they shouldn't violate their consciences at this point. The concern here is for those people who if they see you partaking in, arguing for, uh, flaunting X, they might be encouraged to partake. And as a result, may violate their consciences, stumble into sin, and return to the idolatry that they had before they knew Jesus and be destroyed. Another note. This doesn't mean we don't talk about these things. Right? These are, these are conversations we need, that need to happen with each other in love. Uh, the weak family member here at Harvest may need to, over time, grow in their knowledge of their freedom in Jesus Christ. And the stronger family member here at Harvest may need to, over time, continue to learn to filter their knowledge through love and sometimes be reminded that uh, I don't think that's actually a freedom. I think the Bible's kind of clear on that one. Let's be people who are patient with each other in our sanctification and our growth. We don't know it all, right? And we want to be pushing and stretching each other to grow, to be more like Jesus, but because we love each other not pushing just to push just to win an argument pushing because we love and we care in our cultural context freedom is all about me and here in this text Paul is teaching us yeah actually it's not it's not Our freedom in Jesus is connected to how it's lived out in community, in relationship, together. We had a family day off a couple weeks ago. And we had a few sick kids and everybody was tired. So so we called for a lazy day. I like lazy days. And the kids were watching cartoons in the other room and uh, my little man, my son Corbin, was hungry for breakfast. And so he made himself a nutritious breakfast of peanut butter and frozen waffles. Don't judge. It was a lazy day. And he said, Dad, I can make them but I can't carry them up the stairs or I'll, I'll spill them on the carpet and we'll get peanut butter all over the carpet. Got his balance from his father. So I said, hey, to one of my daughters who will not be named to protect the names of the guilty. I said, hey, uh, could you go down and carry the plate up for him so he doesn't spill it and get peanut butter all over the carpet? She paused for a second and she said, "Uh, yeah, 
It's not my job, Dad. <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> Another pause. Uh, why would I do that? It's not my job. <laughs> all, the ma- all the mature parenting responses were going through my head at that point in time. I will make it your job. <laughs> you just got a whole lot more jobs. <laughs> Once I filtered all of that out, um, some of it. <laughs> I said, why would you do that? Because it's the loving thing to do. Because he's your brother. He's your blood. He's your family. You care about him and love him. Why wouldn't you want to do things for him in this way? She thought about that for a second. She goes, I guess. <laughs> Later, I thought about that for a while. Can't you hear your own voice in there? Just a little bit. Listen closely. Can't you hear yourself saying, it's not my job. Why would I do that? Can't hear it? Listen close. It's quiet. Sometimes it whispers. All so subtly. Their weakness isn't my concern. Why should their weakness be my problem? I'm free. Bon appetit. We may never say it out loud, but it's often implied in the way that we exercise and flaunt and communicate and argue for and protect and cling to our rights and our freedoms and our preferences. Now, imagine saying it at the foot of the cross. It's not my job, Lord. Why is it my problem that they don't get their freedoms? At the, at the feet of our crucified Savior, we cling to our rights and our things at the feet of the one who left heaven to die. At the feet of the one who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many at the feet of the one who humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death on the cross. I am so grateful that he didn't say, your weakness isn't my problem. A ready, together, and going people 
will be increasingly humble and willing to set aside their rights for the sake of others and the gospel. A truly together people will be increasingly humble and increasingly willing to set aside their rights and their freedoms and their preferences and passions for the sake of others and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So how? How does that look? How do I do that? How do we grow in that way as a people? Flip over one page to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, down in verse 23. And we're gonna conclude where, where Paul concludes this section and look at how. How does this look? How do we do it? How do we grow in this way? Three hows. Three hows. First one, how? Do this. Ask questions of your freedoms. Ask questions of your freedoms. Look at verse 23. See the quotes? Something they're saying? All things are lawful. I'm free to do anything. But not all things are helpful. Uh, Quotes again, all things are lawful. Uh, I have the freedom to do anything. Yeah, but, but not all things build up. Filter everything through these questions. Test your freedoms. Is it, is it lawful? Okay, great. Uh, is it helpful? Or is it harmful? Uh, is it lawful? Is it permissible? Okay, great. Does it build up or does it tear down? Imagine if, if just our, our speech and our social media were filtered through these questions. I'm going to say that to so-and-so. I'm going to post that out there for the whole world to see. Question first, is it helpful? Does it build up? Now imagine our our whole lives filtered through that test. Ask questions of your freedoms. Second, how? Second, how do we do this? How do we grow in this way together? We ask questions of our freedoms and second, we look for every opportunity to serve others. We look for every opportunity, we take every opportunity, big or small, to set aside our rights and serve others. Look at this. All things are lawful. Yeah, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Verse 24. Let no one, let no one seek his own good but the good of his neighbor. And then he tells you how. 25. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. Man, don't ask the chef where it came from. <laughs> You're free. Eat. Enjoy. Why? Verse 26. Because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. 
If, if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But, but, if someone says to you, uh, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of his conscience. How much time and energy goes into protecting, fighting for, getting fired up about, arguing about, and flaunting our thing? What if we spent that time and energy instead looking for ways to consider others, to love them, to serve them, to point them to Jesus. What if, we, what if we showed up on Sundays looking for ways to put other people first? What if we showed up to our small groups looking for ways to build each other up? What if we went to our neighbors and we looked for ways to serve them? Uh, what if we went into work every day thinking, hmm, how could I listen better to my coworkers today? What if we came home at night determined to encourage and to love and to put first our spouses and our families? What if we spend less time just arguing about little gray things and more time loving? What if our whole approach to life was, Lord, please show me someone to put before myself today. Lord, please show me someone to love and build up this week and help me to do it. Help me to die to myself and put them first. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. We're free to love and to seek the good of others. So how, how we continue to ask good questions of our freedoms. We look for every opportunity to serve others. And the last how is we earnestly pursue the glory of God in everything. We earnestly pursue the glory of God in everything. Look down at verse 31. He says, so, so in light of everything that I've talked about in the last chapters regarding your freedoms and food and idolatry, so whether you eat or whether you drink or whether you don't eat or whether you don't drink, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone and everything, uh, not seeking my own advantage, but the advantage of many. Why? So that they may be saved. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Our purpose, our aim in everything, the glory of God. Be motivated by a desire in everything to glorify him. If we just put ourselves, others before ourselves, to draw attention to ourselves for our own glory, 
we elevate ourselves to the place where only God belongs. And we destroy ourselves in pride and selfishness. And we destroy others. The world has modeled the, the me first philosophy uh, quite well. Doing that comes naturally to us, doesn't it? Instead, we as a church, we as a body of believers are called to set aside our rights. Not for ourselves and our glory, please, Lord, no. But for the glory of God. As as an overflow of his love for us, we love him and we desire that he be glorified in our love for other people. And our motivation, what we should seek is to make much of Jesus to cause him to be seen as beautiful and amazing and to proclaim the good news of Jesus crucified and risen. Why? So that others will see and be amazed and respond in repentance and belief. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. It's not about my advantage. It's about the advantage of many. Why? Why set myself aside? So that they may be saved. This is completely countercultural, isn't it? Our culture says, defend your freedoms at all costs. Think about you. Think about how Christ like humility would stand out today in our world. Wow, they love so much. I think they actually might care. (laughs) They're willing to set themselves aside. They're willing to, to listen. They're not threatened by everything. They're passionate about what they believe, yeah? Yeah? They take a stand for what's right and what the word of God says, yes? But they're not just ticked off about everything but they do it in such a spirit of love and gentleness. When we lay aside ourselves in order to build up our brothers and sisters, it paints a beautiful picture of the gospel to a watching world and it glorifies God. Harvest, let's be that kind of people a ready together and going people a truly together people will be a people who are increasingly humble and and willing and ready to set aside our our rights and our freedoms and our privileges and our preferences why why would we do that for the sake of others for the sake of the gospel of Jesus and for the glory of God Father we love you and we take a minute and just thank you for leaving heaven, 
for humbling yourself and becoming obedient to the point of death. Thank you. Lord, forgive us of not following after you often as we should and instead clinging to what we think is ours even at the cost of destroying others. Help us, please, Lord, to be a people who go in the power of your spirit to a world and we reflect you in the way that we put others first. Lord, we choose to humble ourselves. Please keep us humble so that a lost world will look at our relationship with each other and will say something is different there. And then we can tell them the greatest news in the world that you have come and that you have died for the sake of our sins in our place and that you have risen and that they can be saved if they will turn from their sins and place their trust in you. Lord, we want to be that people. Help us by your power in your awesome name. Amen.